Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Urge you, encourage you, whatever it takes to get you here for that Abide conference. Um, what happens is the truths of God have to come into your heart, but you have to linger with the Holy Spirit. You have to learn how to tarry with the Spirit in order for those truths to really transform you. And so we set up, when we do these series, we set up times of interactive uh, prayer times, teaching, other things. It will be a Friday night and a Saturday. Uh, don't let money be an issue, but please come. We've opened it up to the rest of the world, so they're going to come like locusts. I mean, uh, <laughs> they're going to come and take your spot. We want you to have the spot. We want you here these series are for our people to grow together as a community, as a family. Second thing I want to share with you is uh, thank you so much for all the prayers and the love that you're giving for Lisa. Uh, every day I see her getting better, I see her getting stronger. Please, uh, would you continue the prayers? She, she does have more discomfort because she's trying to move more. She's trying to walk more. She comes here to the sanctuary and walks four or five times around the chairs And then she's just so exhausted. And if you know Lisa, she wants to get better. And she pushes a little too hard sometimes and stuff. But, you know, there is not that good a TV on. You know, she gets tired of TV. (laughs) She gets, I don't have anything else to say, you know. Uh, You know, so she wants to get moving. She wants, but it's very, she's experiencing a lot of discomfort. And uh, so please, would you pray? The other thing is this. She's really tired of my cooking, and uh, but one of, the, one of the issues is she can eat just very bland, very, very simple things, and not a lot of anything, and so finding out what it is that she can eat, and, and how, I don't, you realize how much comfort you get from food when it's taken away from you, and, uh, and so just pray about her eating and her food, because she needs the nutrition but she can only eat very, very simple things and very bland things. And, and when I mess up a meal, it's like it's the end of the world. But uh, uh, I'm trying to learn to be a better nurse and a better cook. But, uh, so pray for us as that's going along. This, uh, this morning, our, our text is a powerful, even like a secret power of the spiritual life. It's the, it's the promise that powers prayer. And so we're going we're gonna to read this together in just a minute, but um, I, I just can't, I feel like we need to stop and pray for our nation. I, uh, I hardly ever watch any news or anything before Sunday. I just spend time in prayer. But Lisa was watching the news, and I saw the bombing in Pittsburgh, or the killings in Pittsburgh, and all the bombs that are being, it just feels very dangerous, very threatening. So would we, as a church, can we stop and just pray for, for our nation? Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, uh, we call upon your name. We call upon the name of Jesus over our nation. Uh, you said if we will humble ourselves, if we will turn from our wicked ways, that you will heal our land. Lord, we see uh, violence. We see hatred. We see racism. We see, we see people who have, who have uh, done horrible, awful things uh, to our neighbors, to um, threaten, to intimidate. Lord, the whole spirit of, of witchcraft is a spirit of intimidation. It's a manipulation by domination. Uh, it is the... It is, the opposite of equality and of, of seeing individuals as persons with rights and protections. And Lord, we ask that you would come and heal our land. Uh, you have called us to be at peace as far as it depends on us with all people. You've called us to pray for our leaders, to pray for our nation. And you have said in your word that righteousness exalts a nation. And Lord, we see such unrighteousness. Uh, this is not the beginning, Lord. Uh, there were those who attacked 
houses of worship just because they were African American. There have been those now attacking houses of worship because they're Jewish. Lord, we come and say, Lord, heal this land. Um, give guidance and wisdom this violence that erupts in guns and bombs and all of those things, Lord. Uh, every one of us wants to live in safety. We want our children to be able to live in safety. Uh, today we also ask for the comfort of those who have lost loved ones in this killing at the synagogue. Lord, we pray for our Jewish neighbors and friends. Uh, we pray blessing upon them, Lord. You have said that we are called to bless those who are the biological children of Abraham because those who bless them will be blessed. And so, Lord, as this has happened, Lord, we, we, we break this curse of violence, this curse of anger and, and retribution for wrongs that people think they have suffered. We come in the name of Jesus and ask that uh, our cities would be protected. We ask, Lord, that, that the suburbs would be protected, that the rural areas would be protect, protected, that the presence of, of the Lord would move from east to west and north and south, that your healing virtue would flow over our nation. Lord, there are things going on we don't know how even to put them back into any kind of semblance of peace, but you do. Lord, the violence that has erupted, the anger, the division, would you come? Or your love is not divisive. Your love is not violent. Um, you're willing to lay down your life instead of taking a life. So Lord, we come and we we ask for the love of Jesus to flow in the United States of America and to flow for all peoples, every culture, every ethnicity, every language, every tongue. Lord, that this would be a time of healing. We call upon you because we, we don't know where else our salvation would come from but for, from you, O Lord of hosts. And Lord, that you would work in such a way that people would know your comfort because you are the God of all comfort that they would know your love, that they would know your peace. Lord, we ask for a shalom over our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you take your bulletin and, and read this passage with me? This, is, this passage is the secret of, of powerful prayer. It's a promise beyond all promises. Let's read this out loud together. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Okay, so that promise is so unbelievable that I want you to do something. It says, ask whatever you wish. I'm not sure I would give you that permission. <laughs> and it shall be done for you. Jesus is saying something so outlandish really here that you have to really, you have to take it in. So I want you to take your finger and point it at, at, at a friend or somebody next to you. Look them in the eye. And I want you to say these words to them, okay? Say it, particularly, as long as they can tolerate you. That's, you know. <laughs> All right, so you ready? If you abide in Jesus, and Jesus' words abide in you, then you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Wow, right? What, what an awesome promise. Okay, but there are conditions. It says, if you abide in me, and if my words abide in you. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. We're abiding in Jesus. Now, one of the issues that, that I find is that people don't always understand the fullness of who Jesus is. Uh, for example, I was, uh, I was wanting to learn how to share my faith in seminary, so I, I signed up for a seminar and I went to a church that was teaching an evangelism method. And the assistant pastor of the church became my trainer, and what they did is they got comment those visitor cards like we get, and they would go to the home of the person and they would knock on the door and they would share their faith with that person. So this guy, his name, his name was Pastor Comer. And Pastor Comer had the biggest feet I'd ever seen in, in my life. And he had giant wingtip shoes. 
And he knocked on the door, and this lady cracked the door open, and he put his shoe between the door and the doorpost so she couldn't close the door on him. Immediately I thought, I am with the wrong guy. <laughs> he gets in, he starts talking and sharing the gospel, and he says to her, I just want you to know who Jesus is. He's half man and half God. And I was like, wow, this is more like DC Comics or uh, X-Men or something like that. And, 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 I, and I, I just couldn't believe this guy was a pastor and he didn't understand. Yes, there is a mystery. But he's not, he's not a comic book figure. He's fully God. He has eternally existed in intimacy and love and relationship with the Father. He is the eternal Son of God. He is everything that God is, Jesus is. But because of you and because of me, He became fully man. He took on everything that you take on, except He doesn't have the brokenness of sin. Which means, friends, that He has the fullness of human emotions. As a matter of fact, because He doesn't have sin, He can experience emotion in its purest form. You and I can barely handle emotion. When it starts to get too much for us, we eat. When it starts to get too much for us, we drink. Why do you think we take depressants? It's not because we want to be depressed. It's because we want less emotion. We want to be able to handle and dull. Why do we watch all the TV we possibly can so our minds will kind of check out? Jesus was able to handle the purest of emotion and He experienced emotion at its greatest intensity. So to abide in Jesus is to abide in the joyful Savior. His desire for you and for me is that you would understand when you come to Him in prayer, you're coming to someone who has the fullness of emotion. There's nothing you've been through He doesn't know. There's nothing you're going through that He hasn't experienced. The difference is He hasn't experienced it in brokenness. So when He is the joyful Savior, when you see that He knows the fullness of joy, He has had the intensity of joy, then when He says, abide in Me, He is asking you to learn how to enter into His joy. What He's really saying to you in this passage about prayer is that He is full of joy and He wants you to be full of His joy. Prayer is not prayer unless you leave joyful. Unless you leave with a sense of fulfillment. What happens to many of us is we short-circuit prayer and just make it a demand list. A petition after petition with no expectation of answer. Jesus has given this promise that you can ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you, but He does it in the context where He says to you, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, what He's saying to you is the joy that you're looking for is not going to come from the circumstances being changed. The joy that you're looking for is not going to come because people do what you want them to do. As a matter of fact, if your joy is based on anything so temporal, your joy will be transitory. What he's saying here is there's a, there is a joy that exists outside of you. It's in the joyful Savior. And when you begin your prayer life by saying, I want to appropriate I want to live in the joy that's not my joy being produced, but His joy that's already complete. That's real prayer. That's when prayer starts to be powerful. Is when you recognize He's done all these things so that you would be the recipient of His joy. Now, He was like this when He walked with His disciples. He gave them a mission. He gave them an assignment. They went out two by two. He gave them permission to use His name. They gave them authority. They saw demons 
subjected to them. They saw eyes open. They saw blind. They saw lame walk. They saw the, the deaf hear. They came back. They were ecstatic. They're like, Jesus, the demons are subject to us. And Jesus looks at them and said, now, this is great. I want you to understand this is great. But what's more important is your names are written in the book of life, that your names are written in the kingdom of heaven. But then the Bible says Jesus, full of joy, begins to pray. And the joy that the Greek that, that, that's there, that's written in that, that space in Luke, the joy that is, it's an inward dancing. And he begins to inwardly dance as he speaks to the Father. And he says to the Father, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise, but you have shown these things to these little children. You see, what, what Jesus was able to do and what he's asking you to begin to be able to do is to see the work of God in all the circumstances of your life. To realize that behind everything that's going on, behind everything, the Father is at work. And He's at work in such a way that Jesus wants you to be filled with the same joy He had when He saw the work of the Father. This joy in John 15 Verse 11 is more of a quiet, not a dancing joy, but a, a quiet and a serene kind of pleasure that is sustainable. Now, you can live your life on a roller coaster. You can have highs that will crash you into deep lows. You can live that way. Or, Jesus says, you can have a sustainable, serene, quiet, daily pleasure that He has. He's saying... Everything that he said, everything that he's done is so that that joy which he has, this sustained pleasure that Jesus lived in, that that joy can also be in you and it can be complete in you. But it has to be received. It cannot be produced. It has to be something that you begin to realize, this is why I pray. I don't pray to get God to do what I want Him to do. I pray to get the joy that God already has for me and the pleasure that He already has in me. What Jesus is trying to get you to understand is He knows you all the way to the bottom, but He loves you all the way to the top. And there is not a, one of you in this room that doesn't bring pleasure to Jesus even in your failures. Because you don't know all that's going on in your life and all that God is doing in your life, but He does. And He finds pleasure in you and what this passage is saying. And He's saying it to people who are about to fail Him miserably. He's saying, I have a sustained pleasure in you. When you realize that, then you'll know that I take pleasure in you. And from that, you'll begin to take pleasure in me. I have found people who pray, they pray because they have to. Or they pray because they think they're supposed to. I will tell you something about anybody that does something because they have to or they're supposed to, it sucks. I mean, if somebody says, well, I just got to hang out with you because I have no other choice, doesn't that feel wonderful? I love it when people come and, and, and take up my time and say, well, my wife made me do this. I'm like, I should charge you so much money. Because <laughs> when people do that, it just is bad for everybody, right? I mean, if, if, if you have to schedule time with your wife, you don't really love her. If you have to schedule time for your kids, you don't, they're not your priority. If you're doing it because you have to, then you're not doing it because you love. And you're not doing it because you know how to have joy. See, what Jesus is saying is, you don't have to. You need to want to. You need to understand that you'll not be complete. You'll not be satisfied until my joy is in you. And my joy will not be in you by osmosis. My joy will be in you because you go after it. Because you learn to linger. You learn to tarry. You learn what matters. I mean, I have learned this in the most difficult of circumstances. You know, a lot of times what happens when things don't go your way, you begin to complain, you begin to grumble, you begin to fight, and you're like, how can this happen to me? It's interesting when you go in that direction, even more junk happens to you. But when you instead say, wait a minute, the joy isn't connected to my circumstances. My joy isn't in what's being stripped away from me. My joy isn't what's 
I'm losing. My joy is in Him and I haven't lost Him. And His joy is complete because He has pleasure in me. Even with all my faults and my failings, He says His joy in me is complete. And He will have even greater joy when my joy is in Him. Are you hearing me? Well, that means then His objective for your life is that you would know a true and lasting pleasure in Him. That that pleasure would be for you a persistent joy even in the face of suffering. In many ways, don't you see that David got this even before the Holy Spirit was given like He was given at Pentecost? David got this when he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He got that. He said, he sang, there is a joy even in the face of suffering. There is hope. There is, there is a peace. There is love in the face of these things. Now, it, it, in some ways, I want to illustrate to you that Jesus understood emotions so well. In chapter 13 and chapter 14 of John, this is the beginning of of the end of his teaching to his disciples. This is the upper room time. This is before he is to be taken to the cross. This is the last things he will say to his disciples. In in chapter 13 and 14, Jesus is very somber. It's in chapter 14 we have that, you know, he tells them to not be afraid, you know, that he's gone to prepare a place for them. And, and, and it's kind of very sobering and it's very somber. But what you see in those moments, Judas is in the room. So the one who's going to betray him, the one who's going to be paid 30 pieces of silver, and his depression and his betrayal and his evil is in the room. And so Jesus' mood, in many ways, is affected by the presence of that person. Have you ever noticed that some people just come in the room and they can make it dark? They can sit beside you and you go, I'm not depressed, but I'm feeling depressed right now. And it's their darkness that you're sensing because if you really start to open yourself up emotionally, you'll realize that your soul is touching somebody else's soul. And sometimes it's not you, it's them. And you've got to kind of learn that in some ways because if God's showing you that, it's usually to pray for them and maybe to minister to them. But the truth is, Jesus knew the heart of every person. And when Judas left, left suddenly the mood just changes. And what Jesus is able to experience from his Father in that moment is a joy in the glory that's going to be revealed by his obedience. And as he's enjoying the glory that's going to be revealed by his obedience and the joy that's going to be full, because the Father's going to have great joy in the Son. Because as the Son is obedient, even to the place of death, the Father's joy in the Son is going to be greater and greater. And Jesus starts to talk to these 12 failures, now 11 of them. And He's saying to them, but my joy is going to be in you. Even though you're going to fail, my joy is going to be in you. He wants them to see the glimpse of their future. See, when you pray, He gives you a glimpse of your future. He starts to show you what you cannot see about yourself on your own. He explains it this way in John 16. He says, it will be like for me and for you. He says, it will be a joy that comes after the birth of a child. When the birth is happening, there's nothing but pain. There's there's agony. There's labor. There's all of these things that are surrounding the delivery. Even the preparation for the birth is uncomfortable and discomforting. He says, but once you put that baby in the mother's arms, everything is forgotten. I can't have that biological experience, obviously. But I remember when Lisa was going through it, I thought, she will never want another child. This is so painful. This is so hard. But as soon as Joseph was in her arms, it was as if she had been through no pain. Here's what Jesus is saying. Everything that he went through on the cross, all the suffering, the sacrifice, being the son of man who had no place to lay his own head, being rejected by his own people, 
going to the cross, becoming your cancer, becoming your diabetes, becoming your drug addiction, becoming your alcoholism, your workaholism, becoming your fear, becoming your anger. All of that he did so that your spiritual new birth could be laid into his arms and he could look you in the eye. And for you, he did that. He doesn't, he doesn't hold the pain against you. He doesn't remember it. Because all he sees is this spiritual baby who is you. That's the joy he has. So when you come to him in prayer, you're not coming as a lost son or a lost daughter. You're not coming as a rebel. You're not coming as a sinner. You're coming as a son and a daughter. And you're the one that he went through all of that for. I remember when my, my mother was, was passing away with cancer. And uh, I, I spent a couple of weeks taking care of her and, and praying with her and praying for her. And there were two things in that experience that, that just irked me no end. The first was that there were all these people who would come in and pray, and they prayed such awful prayers. I just wanted to punch them out in Jesus' name, you know? I just such awful prayers. I'm like, that, you thought that was helpful? I mean, that made me feel depressed the way you prayed that prayer, you know, kind of a thing. But the other thing was this. My mother was really, really sick, and she was, she was dying, and she would not give up life until she saw my younger brother. She and my younger brother had been estranged for a while. They had been at odds with one another. And my mother was not going home to the Lord till she reconciled with my brother. There is something, you understand what I'm saying, there is something about a mother and, their chi- and the child. All of that pain forgotten, but that son or that daughter means everything to a mom. And what Jesus is saying is, you're that son. You're that daughter. So when you're estranged from him and when you're away from him and you're not praying and you're not in that place of conversation, then his mother heart is broken for you. And when you come back, he doesn't say, I got you right where I want you. He says, now I can give you my joy. Now I can give you what's missing in your life. You see, to abide in him is to know who he is to you. People all the time say to me, how do I pray? What do I pray? Let me tell you, until you know who it is you're praying to, how you pray and what you pray really doesn't matter. It has to be that you look in his eyes and you see what a mother sees in the newborn child. All the pain was worth it. You were the joy set before him. Well, that's what he's asking when you pray. It's what he's saying that begins to allow you to ask whatever you will is that when you start tasting the joy that Jesus gives you you just want more and more but what is this joy well Jesus says it's abiding and dwelling in the father's love so here's here's really what the the change happens that makes prayer where answers start coming is when the love of the father is the air that you breathe where the, the home that you live is the Father's love. When that, when that happens, everything changes. That's what David was telling me. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm breathing the love of the Father. And then he says, there's these enemies that are before me. He didn't say, God, take away the enemies. He said, God, the Father in His love, sets a table, prepares a table for me Where? in the presence of my enemies. See, most of us, our problem is we want Him to get rid of the enemies. He wants to prepare a table. And then when you're at the table, it says, He anoints my head with oil. I'm breathing the air of the love of the Father. He anoints my my head with oil. Why? Because He's empowering me. He's enabling me. I'm breathing in supernatural air. You can't do that without prayer. You can't just assume it. You can't presume it. That's not faith. That's presumption. You have to to begin to ask. You have to begin to have a prayer life. That's why it was so upsetting to me when those people came in. Here's what they would pray. Father, if it be your will, heal Carol. That's my mother's name. I was like, get out of here. 
if you're too lazy to know his will, if you're unwilling to find out what his will is, what is the bogus stuff that you're praying? Don't, don't come in here and say that religious nonsense. You don't know the air of the Father's love. You haven't even bothered to find out. You know what? If you're his friend, he will share his heart with you. That's what friends do. You're no longer servants, Jesus says. You're my friends because I share the plans the Father has. I've spoken all that the Father has revealed to me. Do you understand? You go in and you pray for somebody like that, you're lazy. You're not willing to go and fast and pray and find out what the Father's will is. You know, if you're willing, He will tell you. Now, He may not tell you right off, but He'll tell you. Because he shares his secrets with his friends. He wants, you, he wants you to pursue the love of the Father like the Son has pursued the love of the Father. It's his joy, you see, when you find your joy in him. Do you know why he cuts things away from you? Because those are your vines. Your job, your family, your relationships, your marriages, your friendships, your money. He has to take away the things that are the ultimate ends for you. God will never be the means to your end. Your end is your idolatry. He will not give success to your idols. God will only be the end, and if He is the end, He will also be the means. It's His joy for you to find your joy in Him. But I'm telling you, most of us have to stop the way we've been praying and learn a new way to pray. The disciples got this. They were religious people. But what did they ask Jesus? Lord, teach us to pray. Here are the apostles who are going to turn the world upside down, and the only thing they asked Jesus is teach us to pray. They didn't say teach us to preach, teach, heal the sick, cast out demons. They said teach us to pray. Because they knew if they knew how to pray, they could do all those other things. You can say that with me. You can practice it right now. Lord, Lord teach, me to pray. teach me to pray. You can pray that prayer for the rest of your life because until you get to heaven, you really won't know fully how to pray. But you can start over and start fresh. It is His joy that you find joy in Him. So if it's abiding in Jesus... That's one of the conditions. The second condition is His Word has to abide in you. This is where the prayer power starts to come. By the prayers that we pray, we connect to the love and the joy of, that the Father and the Son share with one another. So here's a, here is a, a definition of what Jesus is, is asking of you here. Effective prayer is the overflow in your life of the fullness of His Word abiding in you. When His Word abides fully in you, there will be overflow, and then answers begin to be yielded to you and to your prayer life. I, I want to say this. I know I'm going to say it really bluntly and really black and white, but I say it with love to you. I, I have no interest in how long you pray. You know, I, it doesn't matter to me. I have no interest in how loud you pray. I see people all the time real loud. I see people who are incredibly passionate in their prayer. I don't really care. I want to know, do you get answers? I mean, what difference does it make if you went five minutes or 50 years if you don't have an answer? Okay, so what Jesus has promised is answers. That's the promise. You see, I actually had a missionary say to me, I prayed 20 years and never saw any answers. And I'm like, don't you think you prayed wrong? You don't tell missionaries that without getting in trouble. I do. But, uh, but I'm like, have you never heard the definition of insanity, of doing the same thing and expecting a different result? I mean, in some ways, it doesn't matter if you're a missionary or not. If you're never getting any answers, why are you doing it? Because part of it is the pride comes in and says, well, I ha I have, I'm, this is the way I do it. It has to be right. But if there are no answers, it's not right. Something's missing. Either you're not abiding in Him or His Word is not abiding in you. Because if those two are true, then the answers start flowing. 
Big answers start flowing. This is what this whole promise is here from John 15, 7. So, let me give you three things that the word flowing fully or word dwelling fully in you means. The first is that without the word, you don't even know what to pray. The word functions as a guide for your prayers. In 1 John 5, verse 14, it says, If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So guess what the opposite is? If we ask anything not according to His will, He does not hear us. So you have to know His will to ask. But once you know His will and you ask, He hears you receive. The Word of Christ directs you to what the heart of God is. Instead of saying, Lord, if it be Your will that this person be healed, you go to His Word. You study His Word. You pray. You listen. Maybe, like me, when it's people that are in trouble, I fast. I fast because I want to hear. I don't just want to hear what I want for them. I want to hear what God wants for them. And sometimes by fasting, I pass through the veil of this flesh and I get to a place where I can really hear for other people. And so I don't use fasting to show God how serious I am. I use fasting to get myself out of my own fleshly condition. And then I hear from Him. And as I hear from Him, then I pray what I hear. Because it says if His Word is there, He's going to honor His Word. There have been years where all I did was pray Scripture. Prayed the Psalms. Prayed the letters of Paul. I just prayed those Scriptures. There are times when I teach people, just go through a Scripture. <laughs> and if you want to just start from the, the foundation, pray the Lord's Prayer. It's not, it's not the words you pray, it's a pattern that you pray. He always hears His Word. His will. Secondly, are you tracking with me on this? Secondly, the Word dwelling in you richly tells you what you can hope for, what you can believe. Without faith, prayer is impotent. Here's what the Scripture says. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing by the Word of Christ. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus says, All things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they shall be granted you. That's the Word of God. In other words, the more you know His Word, the more His Word is full in you. You know what to hope for. You know what to believe so that when you're praying, you're praying with faith. Look, there are a lot of people who say to me, oh, well, there's that one story in Scripture where the guy said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Understand, all of us start there. You don't want to stay there. Amen. Jesus isn't commending that. He's just not condemning that. There's a difference. He commends the ones who come and say, Lord, I know that You will. Lord, I know that You can. He doesn't commend, but He doesn't condemn. Just don't stay there. You want to see great answers? You need great faith. The problem with many of us is we've not built our faith muscles. We've not believed God for much of anything. And then when the crisis comes, we need million-dollar answers. But we've only learned to pray nickel prayers. You cannot pray a nickel prayer expecting a million dollar answer. You can't wait till you're in crisis for the big moments of your life for suddenly there to be faith when there's been no activity of faith. The Word of God produces faith in us. The last thing of, of, of the Scriptures that when it's in there in its fullness, what happens is it changes your motives. It changes your appetites. It changes your lusts. So that the Word of God dwelling in you begins to sanctify your heart. The only thing that ever says revives the soul is the Word. That's what it says. It's not, that, the Scripture doesn't say that just the Spirit revives. It says the Word revives the soul. It says the Word converts the soul. So, you see, you can have an experience with God and not have the Word that then converts and revives the soul. And the experience alone is not enough to change the wickedness and the lust and all of the selfishness in your heart. The experience is confirming, but the Word is converting. Now, am I the only one that likes stuff like that? 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, a lot of people say, I want more experience, I want more feeling, I want more... Okay, great. You'll have that, but you need the transforming, converting power of the truth. It's the truth that sanctifies you. Well, there are some parameters then that the Word gives, and it begins to explain some things that are the reason why many of us see no answers to our prayer. The first I've already mentioned, one, you have to learn to ask according to His will. That's what He hears. The second, though, is Scripture says, when you're asking God in a, a way that cherishes the sin, then God has to say no to your sin. In, Roman, I mean, in Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. See, some, I've, I've heard people say this to me. It's like, I prayed and said, Lord, I, I really want to have sex with my girlfriend. Please let me have sex with my girlfriend. And God didn't say anything, so I had sex with my girlfriend. I'm like, his word tells you sex outside of marriage is sin. Anytime that you are, you're acting out on your sexual lust outside of, outside of covenant commitment, it is sin. He doesn't have to give you another word. And as a matter of fact, he doesn't give you another word because the first word he wants you to be obedient to. If you're obedient to his first word, then he will give you many more words. He will not share his secrets, his secrets with those who are predisposed to saying no to him. Now, revealing often by saying no to us the motivations of our prayers. You see, you can fool all of us. You can be a decorated Christmas tree where you have all the right religious decorations, but you're cut off from the stem, so there's no life. But you never fool God with your motives. So many, many times, he will actually say no to things he could say yes to so that your motives will be revealed. It's also that whole thing that sometimes he will say no to you in order for you to see you do not believe him. You don't trust him, you don't believe him. Again, Mark eleven twenty four. All things for which you pray and ask, believe that you've received them, and they shall be granted to you. Look at the promise of that. If you believe, if you've gone to the heart of God and you know the heart of God, you will believe Him. It also could be that there are delayed answers, and so God wants to teach you to persevere. He wants you to learn to live in the air of the Father's love. He wants you to stay there. And he wants you to stay in obedience to his command. In Luke 18, 1, at all times you ought to pray and not lose heart. And then this is the best parameter of all. This is the one where you begin to realize he's the father, we're the child. It might be that God is in fact doing far more every time you pray than you can imagine. And he is daily putting in place a part of the mosaic that will in good time be the full answer to your prayer. See, every single time you pray, pray and you pray in, in, in the fullness of His Word, you pray in abiding in Him, every time you do it, He is putting pieces together of a larger mosaic that only He can see, but that you will one day see and will all make sense how beautiful it all is to you. Well, let me finish up with this then. This promise says you have to ask. In other words, the reason many of us have not received is we don't know how to ask. We have not learned how to ask. Asking is an act of humility. To ask means that you can't do it yourself. It means you're dependent on Him. Do you know what most of the pruning of the branches is about? Is to grow you in dependence on the vine. If you learn to ask, you're revealing that you know how to depend. So asking out loud, not just presuming, not just assuming, but asking out loud becomes a necessity. Spurgeon says it this way, Our Lord has been warning us that severed from Him we can do nothing. And therefore we might naturally have expected that He, he would now show us all the mighty spiritual things that we can do. The text takes a completely different direction. Not what we can do, but what will be done for us and unto us as we abide. He does not say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall do spiritual things. 
but he says you shall ask by prayer alone will you be enabled to do but before you attempt anything you shall ask prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus he says to you seek my face you say to him Lord your face I will seek prayer then becomes as necessary to our spiritual life as breath is to our physical See, what, what is he saying here? He's saying is that you're not trying to produce, you know, God, here's the list of what you have to do to make me happy. What you're doing instead is every single thing that you do before you do it, you're asking, Lord, are you in this? Lord, will you carry me through this? Lord, will you give to me the strength for this? You pray when you're traveling to work. You pray when you get up in the morning. You pray when you're about to talk to somebody. You don't assume that you know. You ask. Because in asking, you're showing your dependence on the vine. You're believing there's a joy that's bigger than you. You're believing there's a power that's going to come through you now and make a way where there was no way. But also, in this, in this asking, you have this incredible liberty. Because Jesus says... You don't ask just for certain things. He says, because of this friendship you have with me, you can ask whatever you will. See, this might be the most important thing I have to say this morning. Though you are a sinner for whom Christ died, it was not because you're a sinner that He died. It's because He's your friend. Greater love has no one than this, that a man laid down his life for his friend. He didn't lay down his life for you because you're a sinner. He laid down his life for you. He became cancer. He became your addiction. He became your sin. He did all of that because he's your friend. And what he wants you to relate to him now is not a business relationship. Some of us, when we pray, we're like, God, if you'll just do this for me, I'll never ask anything else. Or God, if you just do this, even when, when I was a kid, I remember not having my homework. I go, God, I will become a pastor if you will just, if you'll just let the teacher not ask for this homework kind of a thing. And obviously, she didn't ask. So, uh, you understand, he is not obligated to any of your business deals with him. But he is connected to you. He is in union with you in that when you were still a sinner, when you were not his friend, he was your friend. He was laying down his life for you as a friend. Wow. So now he says, as a friend, ask. You don't have to suddenly figure out this new language, God. Dear God, thou hast... I, I don't talk to my friends. I, I, let's all start talking to our friends like that. Dear Rob, thou hast come to church today. I mean, come on. A friend, you just talk to them. People say, I don't know how to pray. Do you know how to talk to a friend? Do you know how to ask a friend? Do you know how to relate to a friend? There is no greater friend than Jesus. You've wasted your time on the advice of stupid friends. Go to Him. You have liberty. But here's the, here's the clincher. The promise says you'll have success. It shall be done for you, He says. See, if you've been paying attention, then you'll realize everything Jesus has done all leads to this one outcome. Fruit, satisfaction, fulfillment in your life. True greatness. He, he has an image of you that you can't even imagine yet. He is aligning your life with the glory of the Father. And as you align your life and you align your prayers to the purposes of your friend, you will have this prevalence with God. It will be a wonderful prevalence with God. You will prevail in prayer is what that means. And then, so much so that even before you call, the Father is answering. Even while you're yet speaking, He will hear. Now this is the picture I want to leave with you. What Jesus is saying is the Father has given you a signed check. This prayer life is a signed check that you get to fill it out however you want. If you abide in Him and His words abide.
What an awesome privilege. Instead of running from prayer, will you run to prayer? Stand with me. Look, I, this is a, for some of you, this won't help at all, but it, it's been on my heart so much I can't let it go. I love Lord of the Rings. And uh, uh, while I was washing dishes and cleaning up the kitchen yesterday, I was watching Fellowship of the Ring. And there's this part in there, there's, a, you know, there's this company of, of weird people that are part of this quest. You know, dwarves, elves, hobbits, a wizard, a few men. You know, and, and, and they're being chased through this cave. And there's this moment where the wizard, who's kind of like this Christ figure in the Lord of the Rings, where, where he has to stand and face this demon, this ancient demon that comes up from the pits of these mines. And, and he, he's threatening to kill the company, to kill all the, you know, the hobbits and the elf and the dwarf and all these people. And so the wizard, this Christ-like figure, stands in the gap and he takes his staff and he says, you will not pass. And it's an awesome moment of just courage and nobility and sacrifice. And, and as I'm watching this, I'm, I, I see him and he falls into a fight to the death with this demon. He actually dies. And as I watch it, I start crying like a baby because I realize that's what Jesus is saying, I died for my friends. You see, it's not that there isn't a mission. It's not that there isn't a quest. But, but the wizard, Gandalf, who I love, he doesn't do that so that the mission is accomplished. He does that to save his friends. Because in some ways, it would have been better he sacrificed somebody else. Because he's the strong one. He sends them off on their own without him. But he does it because he loves them. I sat there and I just said, oh, Jesus, I don't know why I haven't seen this before. I mean, I've seen that you died for my sins and I, I know that you love me, but at this moment I'm realizing this was because you're my friend when I wasn't your friend. This was you being my friend when I didn't deserve a friend. How can I not pray? How can I not come to you? How can I not embrace this friendship? And I'm asking you today, please, he wants to be your friend. Will you embrace his friendship? He didn't die for the mission. He didn't die for the quest. He died for his friends. And you're hit. Would you say this with me? Would you just receive his friendship with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I receive you as my friend. I acknowledge that there is no greater love than to die for a friend. You took my sins, my death, because you're my friend. I know it's a simple thing, but it's so powerful, friends. He's your friend. That's why religion doesn't work. It's not about friendship. So would you receive him today? Now, these are my words, but would you make them your own? Jesus, you're my friend. Lord, we see what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hug a bunch of people.